I don't know if you're a baseball fan, and I'm sure not all of you are, and I'm sure not all of you are Phillies fans, uh, but aside from being a baseball story, uh, I saw a pretty, pretty truly amazing sort of human story play out this week uh, from within inside the Phillies organization. After a five-year battle with cancer, a man named David Montgomery passed away at 72 years old, and it really shook the Phillies organization. If you're paying attention, you saw some of this in the news. See, David Montgomery was was a chairman, he was a part owner, he was a vice president uh, over the years. He was a, a Philly native from the Roxborough area. He came up through the organization, started in sales. He helped work the scoreboard back in the 70s, like anything he could do to be a part of it. Um, and he was a major reason for some of like the big player acquisitions they had, building Citizens Bank Park, and being, bringing the Phillies into the modern era. And that's all great, right? I mean, that's great baseball stuff. If you're a baseball fan, you care about that. But what made the passing of David Montgomery so like so moving this week, such a a moving human story was because he was a great leader and a great shepherd of the men and women with inside of the Phillies organization. I saw and heard no less than, than five grown men, baseball players, athletes, crying and weeping through, talking about his passing on camera and on the radio. And I want to talk about a little bit what was so special about him. Well, he, he was a good shepherd to these men and women inside of the organization. Multiple players and people said that they had never met a better human in their lives, that he was just the best. He knew the names and the stories and the families of the people in the organization from the custodian up through the board members. He just knew everything about them. He cared about them. He was always encouraging players on how to be better players, but how to be better men on and off the field. Players, players came back into the organization after they had been let go because they wanted to be near him. They wanted to be mentored by him still. Uh, former player and manager Larry Boa, I don't know if anybody knows Larry Boa, he's 72 years old himself, wept through his interview about this saying, he was like a father to me. This guy was this, the same age as him. And he says, he was like a father to me. And what I would say is that all of us have shepherds in our lives. We, we have people that we give authority to, to, to guide us, to speak to us, to, to care for us, and to lead us. It might be family members, friends, co-workers, spouses, coaches, but beyond people, we also have these guiding forces that we give authority to, we, that we give uh, permission to guide us, to speak into our lives, to, to try to care for us. We give permission to things like political parties, to religion, to the gospel, to, to our egos, to our Western culture. We give permission to these things to, to, to do things for us, to shepherd us in a way. So sort of the question today is, what, what do you give permission to to guide you? What do you give permission to, to to shepherd you in your life? What are you submitting to that's directing how you make decisions on a daily basis? And then I would ask you, is it caring for you? Is it restoring your soul? Is it giving you life? Or is it running you ragged? Sucking the life out of you, even maybe causing anxiety. So we're beginning a new sermon series today where we're going to be taking four weeks to sort of soak in Psalm 23. Uh, you might be very familiar with this passage. You may have been taught this when you were little. You may have been taught to memorize this, to recite it as part of a prayer. You might have gotten a little funeral card with Psalm 23 on when you go somewhere. It's a very popular psalm. And it's well known because it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful in its imagery, in its heart, what's being said in it. But at its core, this is a psalm about looking to the Lord as our shepherd. 
looking to him to shepherd us, the one that loves us, guides us, cares for us, gives us rest, walks with us through our anxiety, protects us, and provides for us. So I'd like us to read uh, Psalm 23, and we're going to put it up on the screens here. I wanna re- we haven't done this before. I want to read this out loud together, sort of one verse at a time. And the version that we're going to be using is, uh, it's basically a translation right from the Jewish Bible. And there's a word in here uh, called Adonai. And Adonai is sort of the, the more vernacular version of saying God. See, the Hebrew people would never actually say the word Yahweh out loud. They revered it too much. So they would say the word Adonai, which means my Lord. Uh, uh, so we're going to read this together. If you want to put that up on the screen, I actually need to look at it as myself because I don't have this one memorized. So I'm picking a different version because you probably do have it memorized and you just recite it without thinking about it. So we're going to look at it in this different version. So if you want to say this out loud with me, uh, whatever cadence you feel, I'll, I'll say it. Um, a Psalm of David. Adonai is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He has me lie down in grassy pastures. He leads me by quiet water. He restores my inner person. He guides me in right paths for the sake of his own name. Even if I pass through death-dark ravines, I will fear no disaster. For you are with me. Your rod and staff reassure me. You prepare a table for me, even as my enemies watch. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows." Goodness and grace will pursue me every day of my life, and I will live in the house of Adonai for years and years to come. It's a beautiful psalm. This psalm is attributed to to King David. You may or may not know that King David was raised as a shepherd boy outside of Bethlehem. Uh, He was the youngest brother of eight, so he's sort of the runt of the group. You know that maybe he, you maybe know this, he came to prominence after killing Goliath, this giant who was an enemy of Israel. He was anointed by the prophet Samuel to be king over Israel while Saul was still the first king. And, and after years of, of trial and great turmoil, he ends up becoming the king of Israel. But beyond being a king and a warrior, he was also a poet. And he was a musician, and he writes these psalms that are just beautiful. He was a man of passion and expressive emotion, of high highs and low lows. You can read in the psalms where one minute he is extolling the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God, and the next minute he is in the lowest of lows saying, God, where are you? Why have you abandoned me? He expresses, I mean, he's a perfect picture of humanity, saying, God, you're so good. Where are you? Why have you abandoned me? This is one of the things I get out of the psalms is identifying with this, this guy, So today I want to focus on uh, verses 1 to 3, and I'm going to read uh, 1 to 3 from the NIV. Uh, It's what I read from. There's copies of it back there. You can look at it on your phones if you want to, but I'm going to be basing kind of this first talk through verses 1 to 3 about the Lord is our shepherd. So this is what David says. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. In verse 1, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, I often will contemplate and kind of meditate on scripture, take time to, to, to soak in it. And when I read these words, they kind of, there's words that jump off the page at me. And the first thing I can't even get past is he says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord, he's saying, Yahweh is my shepherd. 
the God of the universe, the one who spoke the sun and moon into being, the one who hurtled the stars out into space, who knit us together in our mother's womb, who split the Red Sea and led Israel out. He's saying, that guy, that God is my shepherd. And he's saying, my shepherd, like he's possessive of Yahweh. He's, he's happy that Yahweh is his and he is Yahweh's. Now think about this. So he's saying, shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, my guide, my protector, my leader, my boss, the one who I give authority to. Like, think about that for a second. This is King David. He's the ruler of Israel. He has more power than probably anyone in the world at that time, more wealth, more authority. And, and he sits on a throne and has ultimate power. He's got servants and all the, everything that he needs. And, and he says, I'm a man under someone else's authority. He is my Shepherd. He's admitting that he is a sheep, that he is weak, that he is needy, that he needs a shepherd. And David is a, is a sheep that, that does his best to love the shepherd and give allegiance to him. But we see him fall time and again, again, a picture of humanity. But here's the question. If David, who is the king of Israel, a warrior and powerful in so many ways, is admitting to being a sheep that needs a shepherd, what about you? What about me? Do we realize that we are in fact sheep and that we actually have probably given allegiance to something to lead us? Do we realize that we do need to be led and we're in fact being led by something or someone? I would argue that all of us right now in our lives are like sheep and are being led by something, by someone. We're giving shepherding authority to someone or something to guide us. We're all children of someone, regardless of age. We have parents who, who still guide us. We have parents' principles who've been instilled in us that still guide us and speak into us, have some kind of authority in our lives. You, you might be some, a mid-level employee, or you might be the president or an owner of a company, but you're still, there's still some kind of authority over you, a board of some sort, or shareholders that you report to. We're in a country that has levels of authority, right? Elected officials and, and police and civilian authorities, things like this. But, but beyond just basic authority... We are also giving shepherding power to deeper entities, things that we can't even see. We give shepherding power to, to ideologies and culture and spiritual things. And these deeper things actually guide our behaviors, actually lead us to do and believe certain things, and actions come out of those. And we expect that these things that we give allegiance to, that we give authority to, that they're going to provide for us. They're going to do what we need them to do. They're going to keep us safe. They're going to give us a sense of satisfaction and even purpose. We look to our Western culture and our comfort, and whether we realize it or not, we look to it to shepherd us. So we, we consume and we consume and we expect happiness and security in return. These are huge for the American culture. We let the corporate world shepherd us by saying, I'm going to climb the corporate ladder and when I get the top, I will be... I will have purpose and I will have security. We look to a, a, a culture for, for what romance and what love looks like to dictate who it is that we pick for a spouse or a partner, how we raise our kids, who we should keep as friends over the years, and so on. But the point is this. We are all like sheep in various ways that give shepherding authority to people and things. So again, I ask, what are you looking to for the provision of your needs? To find security to find rest for your weary soul. Think about it this way. What's the first thing you run to when you need relief? When you're hurting or struggling? Who are you asking for guidance for, um, from <clears throat> on the paths of your life? 
Maybe it's your job, maybe it's politics, maybe it's your good behavior, your family, your status. You're looking to these things to give you what you need. We run to the, to the shepherds of our jobs and say, provide for all that I need. My food, my house, my status in the community. Provide these for me, shepherd me. We run to the shepherd of our achievements and say, make me feel good about myself. Give me an identity. We run to our spouse and our family and we say, prop up my self-image. Tell me I'm good. Tell me I'm good. We run to the shepherd of our achievements and say, give me rest. Let me feel like I've done enough that I can sit back and relax and take it easy. I'll achieve status and security and then someday I'll retire and all will be well. We run to the the shepherd of American Western thinking and allow it to tell us what success looks like. What manhood or womanhood looks like. What being a mom looks like or being a husband looks like or what a good successful kid looks like. What cars to buy, what clothes to wear, what perfume to buy, and so on and on. We even look to religion to shepherd us. Saying, if I just do all the right things, it'll get easier. It'll be better. If I look to these things, my life will have provision and purpose. Listen, I'm not immune to this either. Okay, like I'm in full-time ministry, but I'm not immune to these pressures of other shepherds either. I, I once got a free membership to a magazine um, it was, about, it was about church growth. I forget even what it was called. But once a year, I would get an edition uh, called the 100 Largest Churches in America. You get 100 Largest Churches in America. And then a couple months later, I get another edition that was called the 100 Fastest Growing Churches in America. The biggest churches, the fastest growing churches. It was like a dirty magazine for pastors, okay? Like, <laughs> like this is what it was. It was like, look how you could be. Look what you could have if you would just do these things. Man, like that was a weird shepherd that causes a lust for growth and this envy and all sorts of sick things that come up inside of the American church. Like, I'm not immune to this either. I'm trying to look to other things to shepherd me for purpose and provision. We all look to someone or something to provide purpose for us, safety, rest, and the feeling of being loved. And David knew this well and said, the Lord is my shepherd. Yahweh is my shepherd. I run to him for my safety. I run to him for my purpose and for my provision. I might be a warrior king, but I'm under his leadership, he's saying. So what are you running to? What shepherd do you go to when you're hurting, when you need help, when you need provision? Is it yourself? Is it your achievements? Is it your culture? David says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside quiet waters. David says, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not be in want. I'm not going to need anything. That's easy for him to say, right? Like, he's a king, he's living in a palace, he's living in a great house, everything's good, he's got servants, he's got wealth. Like, what could he possibly need? But don't sell David short here. I mean, think about where he came from. He trusted God to be his shepherd when he was a young man. You can see it in his early life. He grew up probably somewhat not wealthy. Let's put it that way. I can't say that he was poor, but he certainly wasn't wealthy. He didn't have great authority. He's the youngest of eight. He's not promised a whole lot of inheritance. And yet he's trusting, and he knew then, that God was his shepherd and would give him all that he needed. And then once he was anointed and told he'd be king, he had to run around from caves to caves, basically stealing food until Saul was no longer a threat and he could become king, yet he had to trust that God would provide for him. So he's not just blowing smoke here, he's actually had to live this out. So do I think he believes that God's going to provide for his needs? Absolutely. 
But I firmly believe that, that David was feeling something deeper. That he knew as a shepherd what it would take to care for sheep and make them feel fed, to make them feel provided for. He was talking about something deeper. And there's this, this great book that I had written off for years as probably some like cheesy pastor book. And I picked it up as I was preparing this sermon series. And it's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. Has anybody ever seen this book before? It's actually a fantastic book, okay? And I definitely recommend it now that I've like, been humbled enough to read it. Uh, and in this book, this, this former shepherd is looking at Psalm 23. His name's Philip Keller. And he says, among other things, for, for sheep to eat and to rest, they need a handful of things. One of, one of the things that they need is actually to be free from the bullying of other sheep. They need to be free to, to, to relax enough to eat, to know that there's not danger right around the corner from other sheep or from outside sources. Keller says that old sheep will come in and sort of claim territory and they'll start using their shoulders to move other sheep out of the way, the younger sheep. They'll use their heads and they'll butt the younger sheep out of the way and they'll push them aside so that they can get to the good green grass. Or if sheep are in an unfamiliar territory, they've been spooked by something, they have a hard time actually dedicating time to eating and then laying down and ruminating, as it's called. And he knew this. This author knows this. And, and, and David knows this when he's writing this. But when the shepherd is present, Philip Keller says, when the shepherd is present, the friction between the sheep calms down. They don't worry about each other as much because they're looking to the shepherd. They feel safe because the shepherd's there and looking out for them from threats, from the other sheep that bully them. In a sense, they have this inner calmness, this peace that comes over them because the good shepherd is there. And he will keep an eye on things. He will provide for them. He will take care of the threats and handle them on their behalf. He will shepherd them so that they can concentrate on eating and lying down rather than fearing and where they're going to find food. They know that he will set things right and keep an eye on them and their needs and protect them. So what David is alluding to here is that God, his shepherd, sees what he needs, provides for his basic needs. But he's talking about something much deeper as well. He's talking about this inner contentment that Yahweh, as his shepherd, is there for him, protecting him from enemies, from bullies. He's saying, my Lord is my shepherd, and he provides what I need. He gives me a sense of rest, this ability to lie down in contentment. Friends, this is the shalom and peace of God that goes all the way back to the garden that I've preached about so many times. This is the goodness of God towards his people. And you can see this train of thought continues along for David until he gets to verse 3. And he says, he restores my soul. He moves from this physical provision to saying, he restores my soul. It doesn't quite translate here in English, but the Hebrew here is that like his soul is being put right. This soul that is exhausted is being re-energized. This soul that was fractured is being put back together. And he's finding rest and peace, this shalom of God that David is experiencing. Let me ask you a question. Do you feel that way? Do you feel this peace of God, this contentment, secure, at rest, loved, content, Like you don't need to prove anything or gain anything for yourself. Restored in your soul. Put back together and made whole. Is the shepherd you're following leading you to those things? Are you experiencing these things in your life? 
And oftentimes I find that, myself included, people, we will run to other things that don't restore our souls. We think they're going to. They look like they will, but they don't in the end. And in the end, we find ourselves exhausted, living in fear, discontent, worried, anxious, unloved, parched, and starving. You see, friends, I would argue that there's actually bad shepherds in the world. Shepherds who, rather than protecting the sheep, actually want to abuse the sheep and take from them and steal from them and actually harm them and abuse them. In the world, in every culture, there's a a subversive shepherd at work trying to lead unknowing sheep, sheep that aren't paying attention. In the culture of America and the West, it's the shepherd of performance and image and security. It's the shepherd that's continually telling you, you don't have enough money. You're not going to keep up on the athletic field. You're not going to get into a good college so you can get a good job and retire well someday. You'll never be successful. It's the shepherd that says, via commercial after commercial, hey guy, that old truck of yours, you actually need a new truck. You need a bigger truck to haul like I-beams and stuff, like we all do that, right? You need a truck that's going to make you be able to handle concrete loads and loads of lumber. That's what you need. Actually, you need a a truck that can help you pull a boat. Actually, you need a boat. Actually, like, you know what I mean? Like, this is the world. This is the shepherd that is around us, constantly taunting us with these things, calling us into these things. It's the shepherd that says, you need another $500,000 in the bank so that you can retire someday. And speaking of which, you're going to retire at 60. Like, you should probably get better at golf. Speaking of golf, you should probably kiss up to your CEO so you can get a better standing at work. Like, it's this thing, this culture that constantly is telling us we're not good enough. We need to do more and more. So for me, here's what this shepherd sounds like when when it's whispering in my ear. Stressful week? Maybe you should buy something. Maybe you should look for some, like, new gadget online, some new technology. That'll make you feel good. Go find a deal somewhere. You can justify the cheap cost of it. That'll make you feel good. Or it sounds like this. People are whose approval you need. You need people's approval. Remember that comment that somebody made to you, that little critical comment? Yeah, maybe you should start to hate that person a little bit. Well, you're a pastor. You better not hate them. But maybe just hold a little bit of a grudge. Be a little bit bitter towards them. It starts to build up inside of me if I allow it. Or it sounds like this. That 2007 Honda Odyssey you're driving... It's getting old, it's getting scratched up, making that weird noise that it's been made, making from the very beginning that your wife doesn't hear, but you hear, like, yeah, that's going to become a major problem. Maybe you should get rid of it. You have enough money that you can take a lease, you can take a loan, you can go in a little bit of debt, it's okay. It starts to control us. This is the culture around us saying, you'll be happy if you buy these things, do these things, perform these ways. We all experience these calls from bad shepherds that actually don't care about our souls. And these shepherds produce a flock of sheep that are then competitive and and backbiting and running each other's shoulders into each other and butting heads with one another, constantly searching for grass on the other side of the fence that might be greener, might be better, more fulfilling. And it's this never-ending cycle of discontentment, disillusion, dissatisfaction, fear and anxiety and lack of security, a feeling of not being good enough, not having enough, not doing enough. And I'll tell you something, it is hard to see that we're living in this culture because everyone around us is doing it. Even in the church. Everyone around us has bought into this and it's hard to see that it's actually happening. Can I encourage you to do something? Look around and open your eyes. Look around and open your eyes and open your ears. 
See it on the weary faces of people at work who are so stressed out trying to perform. Open your ears and you'll hear it at the soccer game. You'll hear it at the lacrosse game from other parents. Everyone is exhausted and tired and run down and stressed out. Listen to the way men speak to each other at work. Listen to the the way women compare one another at work and in their neighborhood. Listen to your own soul that is screaming for rest. Look at your face in the mirror and say, man, I didn't used to look like that. I am tired. I am weary. No one's lying down in green grass and drinking by still water and feeling restored in their souls because it's not working what we're doing. The world and our culture is a cruel, lying shepherd that abuses the sheep to turn a profit. So, okay, Jim, all right, the culture's bad, right? Western American culture, you've railed against it, it's bad. So I need to turn to religion, right? I need to turn to religious moralism. Well, not so fast. You've heard me talk about this again, and I'm going to go at it again here. The shepherd of religion, Paul warns us, Jesus warns us, is often a wolf in sheep's clothing, The shepherds and sheep of religious moralism say, the world is bad, so avoid it by behaving right. Avoid it by being sequestered away in a little church community that never experiences the outside world. We need to modify our behavior to get God's approval and to get approval from one another about how we behave. It's this world of unwritten and written rules about what you, what you can't do, where you can't go, what movies you can't watch, what clothes you have to wear, how you need to raise your kids, how you spend your money, how you spend your time, how you vote, and on and on. And it ends up being this world, again, of performance and up to me to do it all, up to me to make sure that I'm secure and that God loves me. Maybe if I do all these things right, then I can rest. Then I can sit down and feel rest for my soul. And these end, there end up being shepherds here that abandon or blame weak sheep for the mistakes they make, leaving the injured to die, saying, well, it's their fault they did this. It's their fault they picked this. If they had just followed better morals, this wouldn't have happened to them. We end up trying to shepherd ourselves into safety and rest through religious moralism. And the end result, again, is a bunch of people that live in fear and anxiety or hate the world, hate one another, live these judgmental lives uh, where they're always judging one another and they're exhausted and they're tired and they're weary and they're scared because they're going to mess something up and somebody's going to see it, right? Like this is the classic religious moralism that's happened in this country. And it's something that happened in the Old Testament again and again and God goes after it in Ezekiel 34. You don't have to turn there, but... In Ezekiel 34, God sends a prophet to actually condemn the shepherds of Israel who were supposed to be shepherding, the priests who were supposed to be shepherding. It says, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. This is God saying, hello, shepherds of the Old Testament, you priests, you leaders of this family of God that I've put on earth. You're not doing a good job of this. 
Rather than caring for the sheep, you're running them into the ground and you're allowing them to be scattered and pursued by the wolves of the world. He's angered by these shepherds that are after their own gain, their own egos, their own pride, their own income they were getting from the sheep, their own lusts and pride. So we don't go to the world and culture and we don't go to religious moralism and behavior modification for rest. Where do we go? Friends, what do I always say? The gospel. We have to go to the gospel. We get to go to the gospel. You hear my legalism come out. We have to go to the gospel. We get to go to the gospel. It is a privilege to follow Jesus. And God, all the way back in the Old Testament, in this same passage, railing against these shepherds, says this. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and I will gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. Listen to this. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Then he says this beautiful thing. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says to them. See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you shove with flank and shoulder, butting all the weak sheep with your horns until you've driven them away, I will save my flock, and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. Listen to what he says. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be the prince among them. I will. The Lord have spoken. Do you hear what he's saying? This is years after King David passed away. He's been gone for years and he says, yes, you shepherds have been terrible. I myself am going to come and shepherd you. Then he links it and says, David's going to come and shepherd you. Do you see who he's pointing to here? He's pointing to Jesus. He's pointing to a new shepherd boy who will come and care for the flock. A good shepherd that will lead the flock to a place of provision and rest for their souls. In John 10, Jesus fulfills this prophecy and he says, I tell you the truth, I'm the gate for the sheep. They come in and they go out through me. Whoever uh, enters through my gate will be saved. He will come and go and find pasture. The thief comes only to kill and steal and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is our good shepherd. After years of religious moralism and priests stealing from the people and abusing the people while aligning with evil rulers from Rome and other allegiances along the way and and not shepherding the people well, God fulfills this prophecy to Ezekiel and says, I will come and shepherd through a new David. I will come and shepherd through Jesus and he comes as a, she- as a shepherd-like person in the first century Palestine, a descendant of David. He starts walking with and touching and healing the broken-hearted sheep among the people of Israel. 
the ones that religious moralism had left behind and said this was their fault. If they had chosen better, this wouldn't have happened. Jesus brings the kingdom near and says, this is what it looks like to live in the world and not of it, to give allegiance to the Father alone, to Yahweh, and allow him to shepherd us. Jesus finds and binds up the brokenhearted and sets the captives free. Jesus forgives the sinners and says, follow me. Stop looking elsewhere for your provision. And rather than the kingdom of religious moralism or kingdoms of the world, Jesus says, come into my kingdom, into my flock. Follow me. And all this other stuff will worry about itself, he says. Follow me and all the rest of this provision stuff, it will happen. I will take care of you. Friends, if he can feed the 5,000 with a few loaves and a few fishes, he can take your income and multiply it so that you have what you need and enough to share with others. If he can walk on water, he can take that old beater car of yours and make it last a little bit longer so you don't have to go into debt or take a loan. If he can make the blind see, he can help you overcome that addiction that the world so badly wants you to keep going with so they can get money out of you. Think about it. And if he's willing to go to the cross to prove his love for you and his love for me, why would we ever look to the world to shepherd us? Why would we ever look to religious moralism to try to be good enough to get God's love? He is the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. The shepherds of this world are who killed him. The shepherds of religion and the world killed him because his kingdom of meekness and love and sacrifice did not line up with their kingdom of pride and ego and strength and covetousness. This shepherd Jesus became a sheep on our behalf, became like us to show us the love of the Father, to bring us back into the fold of God, to heal our wounds, to feed us and give us life-giving water, to make us to lie down in green grass and to restore our souls, to give us Life to give us true rest that religious moralism and behavior modification and the world never can. The shepherds of religious moralism will tell you, it's all up to you. It's all up to you. You better pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Change your life. Make your life better by following God. Do it all. The shepherds of the world will tell you, you're not measuring up. You're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. Keep buying, do more, perform more. The gospel is this, friends. Jesus is the good shepherd who tells you, I want to restore your soul, to make you whole, to put your fractured life back together. I love you and I lay my life down for you. Friends, we don't follow him to earn God's favor. He is God's favor towards us. There's nothing we can do except turn and follow him and say, you're my shepherd. You're my shepherd. Help me, walk with me, guide me, lead me care for me? Will you choose to believe that Jesus is the good shepherd who wants to give you rest for your soul? So I'm going to leave you with something to contemplate this week. All of these things demand our lives. The world, religious moralism, legalism, and Jesus. They all ask for our lives in exchange for what they're promising. Let me ask you this. Has the shepherd that you run to most often ever given up its life for you? Has the shepherd that you run to when you're hurting, when you're scared, when you're in pain, has that shepherd ever given up its life for you? Would you pray with me?